Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Almighty God, draw us into your presence this morning. Take us past all the crowds and the noise in our lives. Take us past even those who, who proclaim your grace and your mercy. Take us past that brazen altar as we have sacrificed unto you. Take us past, Lord Jesus, the struggles and the trials. Take us into your presence, we pray. May this morning we experience you. May we see you. May we respond to you. Thank you for your incredible love that you would call us here today. That you would bring us into your presence. And that you would challenge us with your love. May your peace and grace and mercy flow in us and through us as we worship you together. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from, oh yeah, Luke chapter 10. Verses 25 through 37. If you've been worshiping with us on a regular basis, you may be saying, again? Uh, And yes, again. uh, Although this will be the last week for a while uh, that we deal with this passage. Uh, Remind yourself that this is a familiar passage, especially if you've been here every week. You know it's familiar. But but even for those of you who haven't been able to be here, uh, as you open it up, you will hear... Uh, uh, the story, a story that is familiar not just in Christian circles, but is used in secular circles as well, which means we really have to be careful. We need to read carefully, listen carefully. And this morning we want to really focus on the context of the story. So we're going to start at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, or he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May God add God's blessing, the reading and hearing this God's most holy word. As we prepare to sit around the table, as we prepare to share together in the grace of the Lord Jesus and remind ourselves of his forgiveness and love, I encourage you to prepare your hearts and share with Jesus your love as we prepare to sit around the table. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for a chance to be in your house and to worship you. And now to open up your word, uh, we pray for wisdom and insight. We pray, Father, that your grace would flow in us and flow through us. Uh, we pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, this wouldn't be time uh, where we just uh, sit and, and uh, lose track of you, but rather where we sit and listen for you. We pray and ask that you would speak. I ask, Father, that you would speak through me, though I'm unworthy, except by your incredible grace. And so we come and we gather and we wait upon you. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, For those of you who may be newer to us... um, you, you may not be aware, but uh, here at Greenfield, we, are, we, we believe that we are called to be neighbors and to make neighbors and to build God's neighborhood. And our key scripture is Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 through 37, which is why it's important for us to, to hear that again and to, to remind ourselves over and over again of what God is calling us to and how God is at work in and through us. And it's exciting to see God work in our lives as we are neighbors and as we make neighbors and as we build God's neighborhood. And so this morning, as we come to this passage, uh, we have mined this parable uh, over and over again. And uh, I know sometimes when we get down into a parable deeply, uh, we sometimes uh, get into a point where we might... uh, miss the forest for the trees. Um, you know, we get so caught up in, uh, you know, last week we talked about uh, the, the Good Samaritan and how he poured on oil and wine, and we talked about the bandaged the man up and took him to an inn, and we talked about all those things, wonderful things, great things, uh, how you make neighbors we talked about, and it, it was a lot of fun, but we really got down into, into the nitty-gritty of the story. Uh, This morning, I I want us to step back, if we can, and see if we can see the context in which the story comes, because, of course, that's important to the story, isn't it? And as you listen to the context, um, you, you will recall that Jesus is being challenged here. Um, there is an expert in the law. There is a lawyer who has come to Jesus to test him, to challenge him, to tempt him, uh, to try to get to Jesus. He's not asking honest and open questions. He's trying to get to Jesus. He doesn't really need to know or think he wants... uh, 
Yeah, try that again. What he's seeking to do is to catch Jesus. He really isn't looking for the answers to these questions. As a matter of fact, Jesus, uh, in his great understanding, uh, uh, comes to the man and says to the man, how do you read the law? Because he knows the man has already his ideas as to what it takes to answer the questions. You see, the man doesn't come without answers. He comes with questions that he has preconceived answers to. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? When they ask you a question, I got pulled over once by a police officer. Yeah. Going too slow, that was it. <laughs> no, and, and he, he asked me a question. He said, do you know what you did? And I wanted to say, well, if I knew what I did, I wouldn't have done it. What, what are you talking I had no idea why he pulled me over. But see, he had in mind an answer. He, and he shared with me the answer. He wrote it out, <laughs> handed it to me, so that I wouldn't forget. I, I didn't know what I had done, but I knew he pulled me over, and I assumed I had broken the law, which I guess I had. Um, but you see, I say I guess I had, because it really depends on how you interpret the law, doesn't it? You see, if I had my lawyer Linda sitting next to me, I might have been able to, to uh, talk to this officer about uh, the, the intricacies about what happened, what took place. Um, and when you start getting into the minutia, you see, you can begin to uh, perhaps affect the way people understand um, what really happened there. And you see, when the lawyer comes to Jesus, this is the lawyer's approach. The lawyer's going to get into the minutia of the law. The lawyer wants to get into a theological debate or a philosophical debate. And as Martin Luther King Jr. said, and Jesus took that, that debate that was out in the middle of nowhere and he placed it in the concrete reality of the curbside of the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Where it wasn't just an ephemeral idea, but when it, where it was a, an actual instance so that we had to deal with Jesus' understanding of the law. This lawyer asked two questions, doesn't he? Did, did you catch that? He asked two questions. The first question, and both questions, are filled with danger. I, I don't know if you caught that. They're filled with innuendo. They're filled with uh, nuance. Because you see, the lawyer thinks that he can out-nuance Jesus. And so the lawyer says, teacher, well there's your first clue. Teacher. He doesn't say, Lord, he doesn't say, my king. He starts out simply with the word teacher. What must I do? Important word. 
to receive or inherit. I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to hit the word inherit hard because I thought, yeah, how do you inherit something? What do you have to do to inherit something? You don't have to do anything. Someone else has to die. And certainly that's a great point for this, this passage. Unfortunately, the word inherit really means to receive or to get. It doesn't necessarily mean to inherit. And so he wants to know, what do I have to do to earn eternal life? What do I have to do? How can I be good enough to get into heaven? That's what he wants to know. And what's interesting is Jesus stops him. And he he challenges him about not eternity, but about today. You see, the lawyer wants to talk about then. Jesus wants to talk about now. And so, we come to the story with a background of challenge, of testing, of questioning. Have you ever questioned Jesus? You you can do that, by the way. You notice Jesus doesn't get mad at the expert in the law for asking a question. Even though he's trying to tempt him, even though he's trying to get at him, Jesus simply begins to tell a story. I would caution you, however, when you ask Jesus a question, his answer will be filled with challenges for you. Certainly that was the challenge that this man faces. You see, the question really that this man needed to ask The question that really gets to the heart of it is not, what does the law say? The question really is, what are you doing? And who are you? Who am I? I asked you who you were a couple weeks ago. Last week I asked who we are. This question, I, I I want you to ask yourself, who am I? Who am I? I'm Pastor Dave. Thank you, Kenny. Kenny, always the astute learner in the front row. I am Pastor Dave, but I hope I am so much more. You see, I don't want to just be Pastor Dave. Um, I want to be a part of building something greater. Don't you want to be a part of something greater? I, you know, I, I find myself uh, day in and day out doing a lot of the same things. You, ever, you feel like you're on the, the treadmill. And, and do you ever ask your question, do I really make a difference at all? I, you know, I, I, I do the same things. I say some of the same things. I deal with people. And, and if you know about dealing with people, it's hard to deal with people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because people are never done. I worked for United Parcel Service years ago. Um, and the neat thing about working for UPS is when I emptied that trailer, I put the, the back door down and I said, it's done. And I'd go home and it was done. 
Now I deal with people who are hurting, people who are broken, people who are afraid, people who are lost, people who need help. And I don't know about you, but whenever I deal with someone like that, I realize real quickly that this isn't going to be over in six hours or eight hours. And this isn't going to be over for a number of years. And quite frankly, it'll never be over because hopefully they all continue to grow and to change and to be moved by the Spirit of God. And sometimes it's hard to see and to know that people are changing, people are moving. Uh, I, I was so excited last week when Tony was in the front, was it last week or the week before? Tony was in the front row, and, and I said, I hope when you get done, uh, you're going to say that I'm a neighbor. Tony says, I'm a neighbor in the front row. Thank you, Tony. Somebody was going to be a neighbor. What about you? Would you be willing to be a part of something greater, greater than yourself, greater than this place, greater than, than uh, just today, but something that could change a human being for a lifetime. Would you be willing to be a part of something greater? Would you be willing to help me build a neighborhood? You see, this man, this lawyer, was talking about himself. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns the story around. You see, it's not about you. It's about the guy who's hurting by the side of the road. And when you begin to turn your focus around from you to them, all of a sudden you become a part of something greater. You begin to build something. You see, the question isn't, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question is, if God's at work in my life, what can I do to be a part of somebody else's life? Did you catch that? It's not what can I do to get something. The question is, what can I do to give something to somebody else? You see, the lawyer was all about himself. He was concerned about him, what's going to happen to him instead of being concerned about what's going to happen to them. And when you're concerned about what's going to happen to them, then the answers begin to come as to what's going to happen to you. I, 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 love, I love that, that phrase. I stopped there. I don't know if you caught that. Um, but I stopped there when we were reading. After the man responds uh, and Jesus says, do this and live, he says, the scripture says, but, did you catch that word? It's always an important word. That word but is always an important word. But he wanted to justify himself. He was unwilling to accept the kingship of Jesus in his life. He was concerned about himself, not about what others are doing. He was concerned about his own life, not concerned about what Christ is doing. You see, he recognized Jesus only as a teacher, not as a king. And so therefore, wanting to justify himself. Now there's a problem with that right at the outset. Because the Scripture says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and that there's no way we can earn our salvation. That we can't be good enough for God. That God's uh, mark is, is perfection. And none of us have reached perfection. Some of you think you're close. 
But none of us have reached perfection. And so the question is, how then can I justify myself? If I can't even make it myself, how can I justify myself? And some people say, well, when I get to heaven, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to God, and He and I are going to figure this out. See, because I'm going to tell Him all the good things I did. And all my good things are a lot better than all my bad things. I only got pulled over two or three times. A year, year, Kenny says. Uh, But I helped people once in a while. I was good once in a while. I I did some good things. And they're going to try to justify themselves to God. And they may have been pretty good people. The hard part is that God requires perfection. And God's going to say, yeah, but that one time. And they're going to say, yeah, but that's not fair. That's just one time, God. God's going to say, you don't get it. I require perfection. You remember the story Jesus told? Jesus told a story about the two guys that went up to the temple to pray. Do you remember this story? One guy was a Pharisee, uh, which meant he, he was a really good person. I mean, he was like, you know, one of, top 10% of good people. Um, and, and he was a religious person. He went to church all the time. He read his, his Torah. He, he, you know, he, he listened to, to the priest. He, he, he gave his tithe. He, he tried to help those in need. He was a good person. Nothing wrong with the Pharisee. And then the other guy was a sinner. I mean, I mean, the other guy was one of those no-good, nasty people. He'd fit in real well here. He wasn't top of the line. He looked at his life, and he saw all the things he ever did wrong. And they both went up to the temple to pray, Jesus said. And the Pharisee stood in the front row. And he felt pretty good about himself that day. And so he began to pray. He said, Lord, I just want to thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have made me so good. And I want to thank you that I'm not as bad as that nasty person in the back row. Thank you, Lord. And Jesus said the nasty person in the back row, that sinner, he, he, he hardly could pick up his head to look towards the altar. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, he recognized he fell short. So in humility, he he bowed his head. Lord, please have mercy on me. And this is what Jesus said. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. You see, he realized he needed help. He needed a Savior. He needed a King. He needed someone he could go to. Someone who would forgive him. And he went to the God who loves him. And God had mercy on him. And forgave him. And so in Romans 10 we read... For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. You see, you're justified by believing in Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Savior of the world. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith.
and are saved. See, the man didn't get it. He wanted to justify himself. He was in the presence of the only one who could justify him, who could forgive him. And he missed it. You know why? Because he was looking so closely at trying to be somebody he couldn't be that he missed all that God wanted him to be. And you see, when you start looking at yourself like that, you miss out on being a part of something so incredible. And it's easy to do. Uh, By the way, one of the interesting things to me about that story is that every time I read that story, I say, thank you, God, that I'm not like the Pharisee. And I find myself in the same trap. Instead of saying, Lord, have mercy on me. A sinner. And recognizing His kingship in my life. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, He came to be our King and our Savior. And as we put our trust in Him, He begins to direct our paths. Uh, I love the passage that Mark read from Isaiah this morning. He, he whispers in our ear, when you turn to the left or to the right, He tells you if that's the right way to go. Isn't that great? Wouldn't you want to be a part of something greater than yourself? And if you would be willing to not just be a neighbor, but if you would be willing to make neighbors, then you would begin to find yourselves building God's neighborhood. Working on His behalf. It begins by following Jesus. I'm going to do it Jesus' way. He's my King, and as I become obedient to Him, I begin to see Him doing greater things than I could ever do. Jesus even told us before He left, He said, listen, I'm going to do greater things through you. And then think about all the things Jesus did. He walked on this earth. He healed the blind. He encouraged people. He built people up. He brought people together. He forgave us. What are we doing in building the kingdom? Are we building the kingdom or are we tearing it down? One of the exciting things about being a follower of Jesus Christ is Jesus was always an encourager. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're encouraging someone because you know that God is going to work in their lives. Jesus said, go and do likewise, you see. So if you want to be who God wants you to be, then you want to be a part of something greater. And and not only that, uh, one of the things that I find frustrating about being a follower of Jesus is I see a lot of people in need. You, you ever do that? You kind of sit back and you say, man, seems like everybody has a need. Everybody has a need. You all have a need. What's wrong with you people? Except that I have a need too. We all have needs. So I feel like sometimes I'm walking down from the road the road Jerusalem to Jericho, and rather than seeing one man beat up on the side of the road, I see 250 people on the side of the road. And I want to say, Jesus, that's not fair. But what's neat about Jesus is as you walk down the road, Jesus doesn't expect you to take care of all 250 people. Jesus expects you to take care of the one that's in the path in front of you. 
And sometimes we get lost. We, we see this huge need. And, and so what do we do? We throw up our hands. Well, what can we do about it? There are millions of people in this world that are hungry. So we throw up our hands. What can I do about it? You know what you can do about it? You can look for the one hungry person in your path and find food for them. You say, well, that doesn't take care of the millions. But think about it. If every believer found one person who was hungry and fed them, there would be less than half as many people still hungry today or tomorrow as they were today. You see, God doesn't expect us to fix the whole problem. That's God's doing. God expects us to do one person at a time. And the, the lawyer wants to know, well, okay, who's eligible? Well, the neat thing is Jesus said everybody's eligible. So, so you don't have to stop and do a litmus test when you meet the one person and say, well, I don't know if you're really the person God has for me. Okay? If they're in front of you, that's the person Okay? You, you don't have to guess. You don't have to say, well, I don't know if I, that's the really person I want. You, you don't have to guess. That's the person. If they're in front of you, that's the person. Don't look around and say, well, wait a minute, there's five people over here and ten people. No, there's one right in front of you that God has in mind for you that He wants you to share with one-on-one. You don't have to save the world. Your job is to touch one person with the love of Jesus. It's not difficult. It's not rocket science. It's one person to make a difference in their lives, to be a part of the greater kingdom. Now, I don't know who that person is, But I know that when you find them, God begins to work in their lives in powerful ways. And all of a sudden, you begin to make a difference. It's one-on-one, not one-on-six-hundred. It's one-on-one. I'm responsible for one. Uh, There's a church in in Germantown, uh, PA, that in years past, I don't know if they still do this, um, but they recognized that in their community, there were a whole lot of addicts. And it's a small church. And they said, well, what can we do? I mean, you know, someone who's caught in addiction, that's, that's a struggle. That's not, you know, that's not a 10-minute let's sit down and talk or, or we'll give you 20 bucks and it'll all be okay. And so what they did was they'd find one person and they'd deal with that person for a year. Think about it. And they would do all they could for that person. They'd get addiction uh, counseling for that person. They'd make sure that person got a job. They would get up in the morning. They had someone in charge of getting the person up in the morning, making sure they got ready for work. They had someone else who would then take them to work. And someone else then would pick them up from work and would bring them back to where they were staying. They would make sure they had a meal. They would make sure they had more counseling, more training, job training, all kinds of different uh, opportunities for them to learn and to grow. They teach them about Jesus and the love of Jesus, how Jesus wanted to make a difference in their lives. And then they'd make sure the person got to bed at a decent hour. And then the next morning, someone else would show up, make sure they got ready. You see, for a whole year they'd do that. One person. You say, well, what good is that? That's just one person. It means all the world to that one person, doesn't it? And it makes a difference. Jesus calls you to make a difference. Not to the whole world. 
to one person. When you begin to do that, you begin to build God's neighborhood. You see, God doesn't build his neighborhood with just uh, where you have to put all the bricks together at once. He gives you one brick, which is good. Because if you had more than one brick, you may not be able to get them on there in time. But all you have is one brick. I think you can do one brick and make a difference. So who can you be? You can be one who reaches one at a time. Someone who makes a difference. Someone who's part of something greater. And then finally, Jesus says, go. Did you notice that? Jesus says that a lot. He says, go. Now, now that's kind of hard for us because we like to sit. But Jesus says, go. Pharisee didn't want to go. The Pharisee wanted to sit. The teacher of the law didn't want to go. The teacher of the law wanted to sit. Jesus says, go. Go and do likewise. Go. And what's neat about going is if you're willing to go, then your, your life begins to start anew. You see, you don't have to live the same old boring life you've been living. You could start a new life today. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, do this and you will live. Not have eternal life, which you will if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, but you will live today. You see, your life will be different. Uh, been trying to to help people understand if you put your trust in Jesus Christ then he gives you life today you know what that means that means that if you lose your job today Jesus walks with you he's got a place for you he's got a plan for you you don't have to fret you don't have to be worried you don't have to go crazy you can just say okay God this job's done show me what's next and begin to you still have to go by the way you can't sit in the pew. I love people who say, Lord, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have a job, so please provide me a job. And they sit in the pew, and they pray that every week. And, and they go home, and they sit in front of the TV and, or the computer, and, well, God's going to provide them a job. Jesus said, go. Jesus never said, sit. He said, Go. We spend way too much time sitting spiritually. Go! Get up and go! You see, we are construction workers. And what's neat about construction workers is when they get on a job, everybody has a part. If you're there and Kenny's on the job, he's the plumber. Okay, You don't have him do the electrical work. Now, Kenny can do some electrical work. But it's going to take him twice as long as an electrician. You see, if you want an electrician, you call Jason. Okay? So then you get Kenny and you have Jason. And now you can start really building the house. And, and then you have to make sure you have everything built just right. And so you want to call Brian, who's a carpenter who understands how wood works. And, and you get Brian there. And you get Brian to make sure everything's set up correctly. You see, And, and then once you get Brian there and you get everything done and all, all of it, then you want Kathy Schwarzfeger because somebody's got to do some interior design in this place and and you know you don't want just just any old couch there you want a couch that's going to make it look awesome so you call Kathy Schwarzfeger and then when you get done you call Dan because you just heard that he knows all about roofs (laughs) and what's really neat is he's going to do it in six hours (laughs) by himself so hey you just put uh, 
you just put down on it. And, and you see, it all comes together. When everybody's doing their part, all of a sudden, it's not just one person. It's a whole group of people. You see, when we all start doing our part, we all pick one. We all deal with one. All of a sudden, it's not one anymore. It doubles everybody here. And when we all do our part, then the kingdom begins to be built in an incredible way. Everybody doing their part. It becomes awesome. The Apostle Paul said this, By the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as a wise builder, or some translations say master builder, and someone else built on it. But each one should build what? With care. You remember the Good Samaritan? He didn't just say to the guy, Okay, I'm going to call 911. He picks the guy out. He cares for the guy. And as we begin to work with care for that one person, all of a sudden the kingdom gets built. But you got to go. You can't just sit at home. You got to go. You know, uh, back in the day when we built neighborhoods, um, there was always a center to the neighborhood, right? And today, unfortunately, in most neighborhoods, the center is Walmart, isn't it? Becca gives us a hard time. She tells us we go to Walmart every day. There's some truth to that. <laughs> but Walmart becomes the center. Walmart wants to be the center, doesn't it? And whether it's Walmart or any other store, they want to be the center of your neighborhood. But if we're really going to build an effective neighborhood, we can't have Walmart as the center. We need to have the church as the center of our neighborhood. You see, I think one of the problems in the United States today and I would say probably one of the problems in the world today is that we've begun to build our society around other things besides the worship of the Almighty God. And if we would get back to putting God first in our lives and in our communities, then our community would have the help and the encouragement and the hope that we so desperately need. And it starts with you, by you going to one other and making a difference. And all of a sudden you begin to build and people begin to see that the community, that the, the neighborhood is built on faith, built on Jesus, built on that foundation. Now, before we go a step further, and we're way over time, uh, if you want to go to Sunday school, go ahead. <laughs> we're almost done. But I want you to hear something very important. Because you can't build the neighborhood on Christ if you don't build your life on Christ. You see, if other things are more important to you than following Jesus, what you're going to find is you're going to build other things besides the neighborhood of God. Build a neighborhood around uh, making money. You make a neighborhood around... Uh, um, your family, you make a, and what you end up doing is making a neighborhood around yourself, don't you? And then we run ourselves back into the problem we had to begin with. It's an eye problem. But if you begin to look with the eyes of God, you begin to see that God has something greater and He wants you to go. Now, I don't know where he wants you to go, so I'm not going to tell you. But I will tell you this. When Jesus left, he said he was going to make us a, his disciples in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. 
Um, and I just want to say that a minute because um, I don't know, when are you leaving for Jerusalem? Or, maybe we should take a show of hands. How many of you are going to be witnesses in Jerusalem? Nobody raise your hand. Okay, obviously we see that Jesus means more to that, right? He's trying to get us to see that we are to be His, his witnesses in Northeast. How many of you would be willing to be His witness in Northeast? Raise your hand if you're willing to be. Raise it high. Be real. Be bold. All right. How, how many of you would be willing to be His witness to Pennsylvania? Anywhere in Pennsylvania. If He should tell you to go to Philadelphia, you'd be willing to go. Some of you don't put up your hands. I, I get it. That's all right. How many of you would be willing to go to Nicaragua? Raise your hand. Where's Carol? Okay, a few of you. All right. How many of you would be willing to go to West Virginia? Now that's really pushing it. Okay. All right. Some of you, all, all 15 of you better have your hands up because you're leaving a couple hours here. How many of you would be willing to be your witness at home or at work? You see, that's what Jesus meant. That he's going to put someone in our path. One person. Whether it's in Nicaragua or whether it, you see, when Carol was in Nicaragua, a lot of people were sick. She had to, she had to work with one at a time. Um, if you don't work with one at a time, you end up giving someone the wrong medication. <laughs> that doesn't work well. You've got to deal with one at a time. But as you begin to do that, you begin to see God do incredible things. Carol saw great things happen in her life, despite the struggles in the trial. What about you? What do you see happening in your life? Anything? Are you willing to, to go? Would you be willing to be a part of something greater? Would you reach out to somebody? And would you say, go on your connect cards? There's a place, by the way, to write that person's name down as God lays them on your heart even today. You see, Jesus wants to start your life today. It begins by putting your trust in Him, making Him your King. Lord, I'm going to follow you. I believe that you died for me. And so I'm going to do whatever you call me to do. That's where it starts. And then you start looking for that one person God has in your path. And you listen to the king. The king may say, hey, that person is way over in Saudi Arabia. Hey, I'm going. Pack my bags. Or maybe that person lives next door. Or maybe that person lives down the road or maybe that person lives in town whoever it is at work or at home that one person if you're willing to go let's bow forward to prayer Lord Jesus thank you for the life you give us uh, a life filled with joy and peace thank you for hearing our prayers and answering our prayers thank you that we can come to you and that you make a difference in our lives. Use us, Lord, to make a difference in somebody else's life. Change us with your grace so that we'd, we'd be willing to go wherever. In your name we pray. Amen.